Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream on time in full. Greg, how you doing? Whoa, and really on time and in full. None of those secondary calculations. That's right. right where you convince yourself you're on time and in full, in full <laughs> right. and you're not. Never. Yeah. No. So, hey, we've got one of our most popular series we're continuing here today. It's like a OG. It's an OG hour around here at Supply Chain Now. Supply Always. Chain yep. today and tomorrow with Mike Griswold, uh, with Gartner and Greg. Today, yep. back by popular demand, right? For the people, it's Ask Mike Anything. Yeah. So if you've got a burning question to pose to our guru, <laughs> hey, get him in and we're going to get Mike's take. Great. Big show here today, Greg, right? Yeah, I've got my popcorn left over from the Elvis movie I watched last night, and I'm just going to sit back and watch Mike answer. I know you have questions. Yeah, I do. Have you I've seen got, it? I have not seen Elvis yet. Austin Butler, who is the young man who plays Elvis, the greatest Elvis impersonator ever, sounds wow. exactly like him. He does a scene, the famous scenes you've all seen from his show, you know, his show in, in Vegas and all that sort of thing. I mean... 100% duplicate. Wow. I mean, not just able to do that crazy stuff that Elvis did, but I mean, you could overlay a video of Elvis and Austin Butler looks just like him. Anyway, it's great. If you didn't already hate Colonel Parker, which you should if you're an Elvis fan at all, you will unquestionably from watching this movie. Tom Hanks is brilliant in it. I can't hate Tom Hanks. Can't hate, well, Tom, don't hate Hanks. Tom Hanks. Don't oh. hate the player. Hate the character. <laughs> hate the game. Did any fried banana and peanut butter sandwiches make an appearance? Not ever. No, not ever. But one of his habits early, early in the movie, they do show. I can't remember what it was. Oh, oh. Yeah. So, you know, he was a twin. Elvis was a twin. I didn't know that. Yes. And his his brother, Scott, Scotty, died at birth. And wow. He would always look up whenever he was looking up to the sky. That's what he was looking towards. That was is for, cool. For a sign from Scotty. Yeah. All right. So we're going to have to have the Elvis hour. Maybe after we have the Mike Griswold hour, they're almost on equal footing. And Mike's got a slight edge in supply chain, I think, Greg. What you well, think? to quote the great EP, how about a little less conversation, a little more action? <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to say hello to a few folks here in just a minute. Folks, stay tuned. we got a great hour with the one and only Mike Griswold here. But before we uh, say hello to a few folks, folks want to keep banging a drum on this opportunity. These not words to step up and, and help out folks in need in Ukraine, Poland, and elsewhere. So, of mm. course, our dear friends at Vector Global Logistics are leading this effort, all about leveraging logistics for Ukraine, as the title suggests. As Greg updated us earlier this week, almost 10 containers have either landed or are on their way full of humanitarian supplies for vetted yeah. needs, families in need that are hurting. So the work, these are driven by the working session. So Tuesday, July 12th at 11 a.m. Eastern time is the next 
working session. Folks, you don't have to be in position to give, to, to join the meeting and just kind of get a sense of what's going on, to get a sense of the market intel, to get a sense of what the vetted true needs are from folks there, boots on ground. And, you know, as always, if you're in position to give or donate or what have you, of course, that would that would be uh, icing on the cake. So Tuesday, July 12th, 11 a.m. Eastern time, the link to join that is in the comment. And Greg, your final words on this really important initiative here. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great organization. Sit in, listen to the calls or just reach out to Ukraine at VectorGL.com and volunteer anything you have, action, materials. Time, whatever. Yeah, that's a great call out. Make it easy. You, money also. <laughs> that's right. It's all very needed. Ukraine at VectorGL.com. It's just that easy. Okay. I, mean, I see a lot of great folks in the comments. Of course, big thanks Points. to Catherine, Chantel, and Amanda, the production team helping to make it happen. Good morning to you. Good afternoon to you, Catherine. Great to see you. Mike DeWerf. Good morning from beautiful Telluride, Colorado. Always Greg. beautiful. Yes. Always Damn. beautiful. Mike, what's the yeah. snow report uh, out there in Telluride, huh? Let's see. They, yeah, they might be completely <laughs> without this time of year. I mean, it's possible, right? Well, possible. regardless, Mike, great to have you here via LinkedIn. I'm look, looking forward to your comments on what we hear from Mike Griswold and your get your questions in. Do you have a question you want to pose to him? Shelly Phillips, right around the corner in Golden, Colorado. Shelly, I've enjoyed your uh, participation in our live streams uh, as via LinkedIn. So great to see you. Hey, Daniel Hartnett, one of our favorites. It's been a little while. Greetings from Boston, everyone. Looking forward to some supply chain knowledge. Daniel, you're in the right place, my yep. friend. Greg. Especially uh, today. That's right. Let's see here. We've cornered the market on supply chain knowledge, at least for the next hour. <laughs> my dear friend, Larry Grant. Good morning from Noonan, Georgia via LinkedIn. Larry is one of those folks that specializes in GSD, getting stuff done. Salta there. So great to see you, Larry, and I uh, really admire your approach to, in this case, helping folks find the talent they need. Victor Garcia via LinkedIn ah. from Tijuana. TJ, yeah, Tijuana. That's right. So, Victor, great, great to have you here today. Rami tuned in from LinkedIn from Ottawa. Ever been to Ottawa, Greg? Yep. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, we're going to talk about retail supply chain today i uh, worked with a couple retailers up there okay I, I was up there quite a bit um so i've been to toronto ottawa montreal of course montreal and saskatoon saskatchewan which is probably still covered in snow now goodness gracious you speak spanish you speak latin and now you're breaking out the canadian on me greg come on man <laughs> yeah we got it we got to learn about man. all those adventures uh but great to have you rami uh via linkedin gene pledger dear friend from north alabama great to see you here today via linkedin as always looking forward to your your questions and insights on our what discussion. did he say yesterday tropical alabama or something like that <laughs> something like equatorial that. equatorial equatorial alabama yes. uh you're making an impact gene make an impact yeah patrick kelly host of the produce podcast oh, uh, is with yeah. us here today patrick it's been a long time hope you're doing well yeah. and no love the content coming out of your channels Brenda what Allen is buddy's back? name who had the family citrus business. You know, oh, that, that was is, a great story. That was, that was a great story. Patrick, you got to let us know. The, yeah. uh, me and Greg and you and 
One of your friends jumped on a podcast probably a couple summers ago. So let us know about that. Brenda Allen is back. She says she loves Telluride. I was there in the fall of the year and experienced rain and snow all in one day, but the scenery was breathtaking. It is. Nice, nice, nice. Well, good morning to everybody. Great to have y'all here. Good afternoon. Good evening based on where you are. I'll tell you, you're, and by the way, that was Michael Chavez. Thank there you, Patrick. There it is. Yes, that's uh, right. That's such a great story. All right, so you're in the right place at the right time with the right guests. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to get your questions, all questions about Mike, his journey, the supply chain industry, you name it. Y'all get him, get him in, and we're going to try to pose those to him as we work through the next hour. So with no further ado, though, Greg, I want to welcome in the one and only Mike Griswold, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Sorry, Mike, I didn't do the second part. No, that's all right. I, I was I was waiting for some maybe Elvis walk-on music, but that's all right. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Given the sorry previous discussion. Hey, everyone, great to be here. Great to have a chance to chat with everyone. Mike, as as a uh, always a pleasure. I uh, love our monthly check-ins with you, as does our audience. One of our longest-running series, and uh, great to have you here. So, Greg and Mike, before we get into some of the questions, and folks, again, as you have questions you want to pose about industry, especially retail, supply chain, get those in. We're going to pose those to Mike over the next mm -hmm. 50 minutes or so. But the heavy-hitting questions first. It's National Fried Chicken Day, folks. National Fried Chicken Day. Enough said. So yeah. Mike and Greg, and we'll start with Mike, where have you had the best fried chicken experience in your life? So when I was a kid, I grew up in a small town in Western New York, and, and my dad was a teacher forever. And one of his teaching friends had a chicken barbecue business in the summer. So mm -hmm. as one of my summer jobs, I would work with him. So he had a pickup truck and a trailer and haul all the stuff to wherever we were doing the chicken barbecue, set it up, do all the cooking. That's probably where I've had my best barbecue chicken is, is in an outfit like that. Partly because, you know, you don't get to eat until everyone else eats and you don't get to eat really until all the work is done. So you've worked up quite an appetite, but that, that probably would be my best barbecue chicken. When, when I, when my wife and I go out or we go out with the kids, usually I'm not a chicken person, so I don't usually look for chicken. But, but that, when you were talking earlier about, you know, barbecue day, chicken, fried chicken day, that's probably been my best. Okay. All right. That all sounds delicious and sounds like a bunch of work. Greg, I'm coming <laughs> to you next, but before I do, good, good afternoon, Daniel from Brazil. Great to have you here via LinkedIn. Parvez is tuned in. He says, good evening, Mike from the UAE. Great to have you here, Parvez. All right. So Greg, we're talking national fried chicken day. What's yeah. your favorite? Well, you know... As you know from my good friend Mike Mills, Scott, that yes. I am a I'm a fried chicken connoisseur. So <laughs> I would have to say it all started with my great grandmother's fried chicken in a cast iron skillet with real grease, not even uh, what's that manufactured grease? I mean, it was oh, real lean lard. Or, um, lard, yeah, Crisco, Crisco. yeah, Crisco. yeah. With Loretta real Lynn. lard. You just let down Loretta Lynn and all yeah. those Crisco commercials if you remember them. Anyway, go ahead. And that was always fantastic. And, you know, a lot of family around, so that kind of probably started my love for it. But actually, probably the best fried chicken I've ever had was in China, which is a thing there, right? Okay. They love to fry, it, especially the wings and whatnot. But man, fantastic. China and 
relatively locally. There's this small chain called Champy's Fried Chicken. Chicken in a 40 is kind of their tradition. Like, okay. And there's one in Chattanooga that's really good and one in Athens, Georgia that's very okay. good. So every time I go visit my daughters in college, we go to Champy's. I eat fried chicken. They're both vegetarian, so they eat, <laughs> they eat potato salad. Right? <laughs> they get the uh, potato salad in the forty, and you get the fried. They get chicken. a salad, yeah, a salad in the yeah. forty instead of a chicken in the forty. Right? <laughs> well, gosh, y'all both paint a, a delicious picture. I would just add Hattie B's, which is a bit. I guess you call that a chain now, but it's still really good. Started in Nashville, of course, Prince's Chicken in Nashville as well, but. Justine's Kitchen in Charleston, South Carolina was around for a long time. And unfortunately, I believe the pandemic was the final. They, they shut down a couple of years ago. And I think the, the front end of the pandemic kind of made that decision for them. But wonderful, wonderful homemade fried chicken and, and other food. So, okay. Every day, every, everything has its own national day. Who would have thunk? Can you guys just take it from here? I'm just going to go get some lunch. <laughs> right, right. Um, so we're going to ask Mike. One comment here for Korean yeah. fried chicken in Seoul is amazing. Mm. That's an interesting thought. Skin on. Um, I mean, it's super crispy. Yeah. And Mahima, great to see you via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Great to have you here today. Okay. So I know one of the things, Mike, as we get started and get past fried chicken, which I think had all of us standing and, and maybe uh, drooling a bit. I think one of the things that that uh, we don't talk about enough uh, when it comes to Mike Griswold, because we, we, we focus so much on your analysis and and the, the research work you do and uh, everything you're doing at Gartner. But, man, your background is pretty fascinating. Some folks may not know your previous industry experience in the grocery business with Albertsons and Shaw's supermarkets. So I want to start there. And, Daniel, I'll see your first question. We'll get to that next, I promise. But what's one thing, Mike, that might surprise our listeners about the the grocery business sector? Well, I think it's interesting because when, and I think Greg will will probably concur with this, if you think about the grocery industry five to 10 years ago, you know, I, I think we would have politely put them as kind of laggards when it comes to technology adoption and even, you know, process type of adoption. Change management was always a, a big focus, you know, when you're talking with supermarket retailers. If I fast forward today, while, while I wouldn't necessarily call the supermarket industry, you know, leaders, I, I definitely have seen a shift in, in how they're approaching and adopting technology, especially mm -hmm. in areas like e-commerce. So if you think about where we were pre-pandemic and you think about how we've come out of the pandemic, the food industry has actually done a really good job of improving that buy online, collect in store experience, that buy online curbside, all of those things where you don't really want to go in the store. They've actually done a really good job of that. And if you think about the other area, I would say they've done really well we may not like it or appreciate it is what they've done with their data relative to direct marketing. Yep. And they've come a long way in recognizing what they've had in terms of an untapped potential of all of this. I mean, just think about how much data a supermarket retailer has about all of us, right? And how much time we spend there, what's in our baskets. And I think, you know, when I think of people like Sainsbury early on and what they did with Dunhumby and the ability to understand your basket and then send you stuff 
to entice other purchases based on what you bought. Not that long thing you get at the checkout, which is the coupons for things you're never going to buy, right? So I think in some ways over the last five to 10 years, the, the grocery industry has really accelerated how they think about and how they use technology in ways that if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, I would have said no way, right? Just because of, of the slow rate at which they were adopting technology and even- right. You know, things like um, some of the processes like sales and operations execution that's starting to get more traction um, in the food space. So they've undergone, in my opinion, the biggest transformation of any segment of retail in terms of where they were to where they are today in terms of things of, around technology. Mm. So, Greg, I'm going to come to you next for a quick comment. But really quick before I do, at least once a week, I see someone on my social feed. A lot of times it's Facebook that complains about the self-checkout lanes. And, and has a, there's a variety of, um, in the grocery business, there's a variety of conspiracy theories around why that happens. But here recently, after I saw comment number 1,279, the complaint, <laughs> I, I looked into research and kind of the market trends. It is now the majority of shoppers actually prefer yeah. to get in, not talk to anybody, check their stuff out and get out. It's, it's, it's that's what folks are demanding. But uh, that, that's that's where I lie. Rarely do I interact uh, with anyone at the uh, grocery store. But Greg, comment on that or comment on, on kind of Mike's observations about the, the grocery business. So I may have been the very first complainer. I used to go to the <laughs> store and say, do I get a discount because I'm saving you on labor by by doing the labor myself? Right. Right. Um, but and I think and I I am only allowed to buy a few things at the grocery store because otherwise it takes me an hour to go through the store. It, it actually has saved them some labor for the store manager because my wife used to call in. She knew the store manager at our local Kroger so well. She would call in and say, I'm sending my husband in. This is what he's looking for. And wow. the manager would have somebody go collect the stuff. It was only a handful of things, but go collect the stuff and bring it to the customer service desk <laughs> because I was so pathetic. He walked through the store one time. I was there for like 45 minutes to find, I, I don't know, whatever, three items. So I love it when it's only a few items. If it's full basket, you still it's still worth getting the help from an actual human being. Agreed. Um, Agreed. But, but as... The larger picture of grocery, Mike, I can't help but think about the fact that virtually everywhere else in the world, grocery stores have perpetual inventory, meaning they know what they have on hand and they have a system to manage to that. And here's a little history lesson for you, because grocery stores evolved from general stores who used to have hawkers, have uh, people who came around and, and manage the inventory for a store, right? Our grocery business grew up a lot differently and it has really set them back. The, the, Mike managed in the days when that was really prevalent and was able to do the good things that he did for Albertsons is truly impressive because they often don't know what they have or didn't back then. And I think mm. that's still the case with some of the lines where some of the big brands, they come in, they send someone in, they scan the product, they then send the driver in the next day to deliver it or, you know, on their regular route. So Coca-Cola, Wonder Bread, whatever, you name it, there's all kinds of products where the grocery store doesn't know or really doesn't care right. what they have on the shelf because they've sold that shelf space right. such that it's almost a tiny little store in inside their store to that vendor. 
I don't know if everybody in the States really knows that. They probably, if they do, they probably don't appreciate it as much as what you just laid out. We've got a couple of questions. I want to shift gears. And Greg, I want to circle back to the auto parts industry in a minute and pose the same question to you. But first off, we've got a lot of self-checkout lane lovers between Amanda and Catherine and myself. Gene Pledger, when you pay with your app and not even stand in line, I'm with you. Uh, we've got a, a Nashville uh, chicken recommendation from Brenda. We'll have to check out Manel's. Mm. Uh, kidding aside, Daniel Hartnett has got a very serious topic and piece of legislation. Of course, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act is what he's referring to here. And I want to get Mike and Greg's uh, take here. So Daniel says, curious Mike's thoughts on the potential impact of the new U.S. regulation, UFLPA, on China-dependent supply chains. So Mike, uh, share your thoughts here. Yeah, I I think it's going to have a huge impact primarily because I don't know that that U.S. companies uh, and companies that are, are sourcing from outside the United States have as much visibility. And I know, Greg, you and I have talked about this at, at length. I don't know that they have enough visibility deeper into their ecosystem as right. they're going to need to have, right? So it's one thing to know that this product is made in a certain location in a certain geography. It's another thing to know exactly how that product is made and assembled and who's doing it. Part of the challenge, though, in fairness to organizations, is in order to to get that full appreciation, you almost have to go there, right? You almost have to have someone go through and, and tour the facility, tour the region, and be able to see with their with their own eyes kind of how this stuff happens. Now, we know that there can be a couple of challenges with that. One, someone may just not give you access, said, you know, thanks, mm-hmm. but no thanks, you're not coming, which in its own right should send up some red flags around. Maybe we should be thinking about alternative sourcing. But the other element is unless you can do this unannounced and as a surprise, right? When I was in the stores, before I was in grocery, I was in a department store. I ran the operations in a store. And the biggest joke was we always would get like a week's notice before a regional vice president was coming or even the president was going to tour. Right. We had like a week's notice. So, and no one cared what your labor budget was the week before, right? So, yeah, it, it's the same thing, right? If you give people enough notice, they can, they can you know, dust things under the carpet, dust things under the furniture, right, before you get there. And and in some of the locations where this stuff is produced, you would never, you're never able to get a surprise visit because if you showed up unannounced, you may be arrested and no one may ever see right. you. Right. Right. So right. Um, th- there's challenges with that. So I think it's a great question. And I think I would lump it under, you know, people are just going to need to figure out how to they get more visibility and how do they get deeper visibility into their system that's going to be the challenge and i think some of it is some some organizations probably don't want to know other organizations want to know and it's going to be difficult to find that out but it's a great question and i do think it's going to have a pretty big impact agreed hey really quick Greg, i'll get your take here on a great question from daniel but that's such a great point mike makes it's like uh your iso certification the manufacturing space you know when your examiner is coming so yeah. mike oftentimes so mike to your point you know it, it it's not a uh, it's not a pop-in surprise inspection so but uh greg your take on the uflpa 
I love the foundational principle of it, guilty until proven innocent. And I'm and proven innocent beyond the slightest doubt. Right. And I think that this is the only way that we we can force bad actors to share enough to know. Today, to Mike's point, if we can't verify they're guilty, we assume or use cognitive dissonance to right to consider them innocent. We need to invert that curve and we need to assume guilt until they're proven innocent. Think of it this way. If you couldn't verify that any other supply chain partner was reliable, right? Had an on-time in full record or things like that, you would assume they couldn't get the job done. If you can't confirm that someone is doing good, you have to assume that they're not. Mm. And and I think that, that this principle you know, as was evidenced in kind of a test case with CBP, with the Customs and Border Patrol, where they just rejected containers that came from Xinjiang unless they could, uh, um, you know, unless they could verify that they were not unethically sourced. Um, I think this forces people out of the shadows, and I I actually like it. It is going to be challenging, and it's going to be incredibly disruptive up to this point, because right. again, to Mike's point, most companies preferred to kind of sweep it under the rug or not dig that deep or couldn't dig that deep. And now they have no choice. And it's not just right. UFLPA. It's also the SEC. If you're a public company, you have to prove your sustainability. FINRA, the Financial Industry Rating Association, whatever the heck the A stands for, that now they have three stages of ESG compliance that they require and, and it, you know, it's a service to, to shareholders to alleviate risk from these, these kinds of threats. So it's, it's going to be tough. And, and yet a lot of these companies could have seen it coming, but in classic, Mike, in classic company business retail style, whatever you want to say, uh, we wait till it's mandated or a crisis right. before we do anything. Wait until you're forced yeah. to walk the plank. Um, <laughs> Greg and Mike, good stuff there. And Daniel, again, a great question to lead off. And to all of our listeners out there, we've got the next 30 minutes or so with Mike. It's Ask Mike Anything. So Daniel set the bar pretty high, but feel free. Whatever you are curious about to get Mike's take, we'd love for you all to, to uh, weigh in. Dr. Rhonda is with us. Uh, she's referring to that <laughs> delicious fried chicken discussion we had on the front end. So appreciate you. Uh, Marlo is tuned in from Dallas uh, via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Marlo. Helene is back with us. Helene, great to see you via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. I think that CP is probably a flag that was not converted over for the comment, but let us know where you're tuned in from, Helene. I see the flag. That's interesting. You don't see it? I don't see it. What what country? I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't look that close. Uh, uh, okay. It's red, white, and blue, but it's blue, white, and red. So ah, I gotcha. Okay. Eastern Europe, somewhere, possibly Russia. Anyway. Hey, real quick note yeah. for Dr. Rhonda. If Mrs. White's Golden Rule Cafe still exists, fantastic fried chicken there. Ah. The best, unquestionably the best in in Phoenix. I would say the best in the Southwest without it. Okay. Doubt. So that's a great tip. And by the way, the production team is confirming it's France. Helene is from oh, France. Uh, France. Oh, sorry, great yeah. to see you here, Helene. It's hard to see that. Flag. <laughs> it's very small. So, Mike, our next question. So, so Greg, there's yeah, this pretty cool invention. You may have heard of them called glasses. <laughs> I'm on a very small monitor here, but you're right. Okay. 
just just trying to you know give you a little help there, Greg. Uh, oh, thank I love you. it. I love it. And by the way, Thanks, uh, <laughs> Dr. Rhonda says, hey, wait until you're forced to walk the plank. Scott, oh my gosh, I do say that often as well to my clients when we're making some behavioral changes that appear and feel painful in the moment. Hey, yeah. Dr. Rhonda, kindred spirits, uh, that does not surprise me. Um, okay, so my next question comes in. It's about the Gartner Supply Chain Top 25. Sure. And <clears throat> so... As the name suggests, and as we've covered here plenty of times before with you, the top 25 comes out every year. The rankings were just released roughly a month or so ago, and it ranks some of the top performing supply chains, including the master's category, which are companies that constantly, you know, they've just consistently performed. They're created, you know, they've uh, got their own category. But the question here is for the companies that ranked, you know, 26th, 27th, right there on the cusp. What do you see and how can those companies break into that pristine pyramid, the top 25 next year? Yeah, there, there's a couple ways, Greg. If, you know, if people, you know, if you look at the methodology right there, there's the financial component and then there's the, the qualitative community perspective, the analyst in the, in the peer vote. And we have the, the ESG component. The, the, the two elements that I think organizations you know, that are in that, say, 26 to 30, 35 range, things they can influence the most really come down to two things, right? The, it, one is the ESG component. So it's based on the accumulation of up to 10 points. You know, if, if an organization, you know, isn't at 10, that, that's an opportunity because each point of ESG is worth 0 0.20 right to the composite score. So if you were an eight and you went to 10, that's nearly half a point to your composite score right out of the gate. Hmm. And when you're looking at, you know, 26 to 25 was about one one hundredth of a point. That's wow. the difference between 26 and 25. And, and even if you go to 30, my guess is that difference is less than a single point. So, so looking at the ESG methodology, seeing if there's opportunities where you're not getting points. My message, though, to companies, particularly on the ESG component, is you should not be doing ESG stuff just to chase Gartner points. Mm. You should be doing ESG stuff because it's the right thing to do. So, right. you know, we have, you know, Ethisphere produces an ethical company list. Bloomberg produces gender equality, a, a gender equality index. Those are, those are worthwhile things that people should consider. But, you know, if if you're already doing something at a different gender equality index, I, I'm not here to tell you do Bloomberg just so you get two points. Right. But you should look across how we evaluate ESG. And if there are things that you're not participating in that make sense for you, you should look at that. But the other element is and where I think the strength of the top 25 comes from is, you know, from its inception, we wanted to reward and recognize companies that shared their story. People that talk about the things that they're doing in the supply chain that will make the supply chain of everyone better, right? And again, we're not saying, you know, give away, if we're talking about chicken, don't give away the secret sauce. What we are saying though, is there's a lot of things that, that companies do that are very transferable and not proprietary. So get your name out there, talk in, you know, social media, you know, be involved in Gartner events and other events, right? Not just ours where you can, because it's that peer voting that that really can make a difference. And again, not to not to make people's eyes glaze over, but 
in the peer methodology, right? If, if someone votes for you in the number one spot, that's 25 points. If you get two people that didn't vote for you before that are now more aware of you, and let's just say, because I need simple math, right? They both put you at number one. That's 50 points right? to the peer voting. So it is, and if you look at companies in the top 25, you know, they, they all do a really good job of talking about their supply chain, whether that's, you know, you know, you know, frequent updates on LinkedIn, frequent updates on social media, putting out their own white papers. You know, there is to some degree an obligation if you want to be in the top 25 to share your stories. So those, um, Scott, would be two things. Think about where you are from an ESG perspective. And are you, and this is where I'll use the word aggressively in a, in a positive way, are you aggressively telling your supply chain stories to the community? Mm. All right. So, Greg, we've got a follow up question from Mike in just a second from Dr. Kendra C. Taylor. Great to see you, uh, Dr. Taylor. Uh, but, Greg, I'm going to get your quick follow up based on what you heard there from Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they ought to have a play in game. It sounds like, Mike, there are a lot of teams on the bubble. <laughs> if, if you yes. think of it right in NCAA yes. tournament standards. Um, but I think that it that it is that close is is really fascinating. Couldn't help but think that that's probably right, right? 25 to 30 is probably still less than a point separated. But I, I I like the, whatever you want to call it, the caution, the warning, the notification, don't yeah. chase points, do good, right? And and that will be evident. Yep. Um, and especially now with the topic we just discussed, where in there is no place to hide in supply chain or in ESG now, um, you will most definitely not want to be greenwashing you know the yes their the greenwashing is tantamount in the esg and the financial world to crime these days so it it's um important to be genuine to have real plans the requirements of the sec now not only are that you have plans and again this is only for public companies but if you work with a public company, you're going to have to be able to do the same thing anyway. It's not only to have plans to be carbon neutral or or have gender racial equality or, you know, eliminate unfair trade practices, conflict minerals and, and human rights violations from your supply chain. But it's also to be able to verify that you're doing it, how effective that's been, and now go outside your own four walls to those six, seven, eight, nine tiers of suppliers around right. the world and assure that they're doing it as well. So it's got to be a legitimate attempt because in this day and age of transparency, it's too dangerous to do it any other way. And it's not really sustainable. Right. Outcomes. Un in any, in any definition of the word, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, Unlike college basketball, we will not be expanding the field. It, it will stay at top 25. <laughs> okay. So it won't go to 128 teams. No, absolutely later. not. <laughs> absolutely outcomes, not. outcomes, outcomes. And then, uh, and I love your comment there, Greg, about outside of your, your four walls, you know, upstream and downstream of your supply chain. It's such an important point. Um, all right. So we've got another great question here from a former guest, which we really enjoyed uh, a chat when Jenny Froome was with us back a few months uh, ago. And this is uh, Dr. Kendra C. Taylor, who does, beyond her consulting business, she does a lot of great volunteer work with the Informs Group, right? 
She says, got a question for Mike. Are you seeing companies using tech like blockchain or artificial intelligence to improve in the area of ESG? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, we, we've all, I think, made somewhat tongue in cheek comments around blockchain is kind of a problem running around trying to find a solution uh, or a solution trying to run around and find a problem. So I think this is an area where we're starting to see blockchain uh, blockchain grab some traction is in the ESG space from a traceability perspective um, to some of Greg's earlier comments and authenticity. You know, we're seeing it in mm -hmm. the drug environment to make sure drugs aren't counterfeit. We've seen it in some of the luxury good areas to ensure good goods are not counterfeited. Um, so we're definitely seeing blockchains start to emerge in the ESG space. We're also seeing, you know, other uses of technology, you know, geosat location. So, you know, there's a lot of work being done by companies that rely on, on palm oil to be able to use satellite image to, to check on, on forestation and deforestation and make decisions around that. Yeah. We're also seeing, if I expand this a little bit outside of sustainability, we've got some of the high tech companies using machine learning and AI for people with disabilities. So one of the high tech companies in our top 25 has developed technology that allows people with sight impairment to be able to do quality control testing on equipment using things like audio signals and things like that. So, you know, we're definitely seeing technology be deployed, not only in the traditional areas we see around the supply chain, plan, source, make, deliver, just as, a, as some examples, but we're also seeing it definitely in the ESG space for sure. Greg, anything to add? No, I have. I actually, you've made me think of several questions, Mike. You know, we're talking about what arguably, and I don't mean this in a bad way, arguably a trendy topic. Mm -hmm. but in as much as we're talking about these things that are highly impactful to companies today, I wonder because you talk to companies and their solution provider, providers all the time, is there anything that jumps out at you? I mean, not, not limited to ESG and maybe not even limited to supply chain, but I think we all understand that the economy is shifting globally, right? And that things are changing from the, you know, the hard run that we've been on for 13 years to what will arguably be a different economic environment for at least a few months, possibly a few years. Is there anything you're seeing relevant or in response to that shift that really just jumps out at you as you talk to some of these retailers? Yeah, I, I think, and it's not just a, a retail um, unique phenomenon. I, I think yeah, we, we are, we, we had a period of time when, and, and I like the way you, you phrased it, Greg, and I'll try to keep it at that same kind of adult level, right? We had, we had an, things were good and, and the ESG was kind of a natural fill in when, when things are going well, right? When, when you're, when your business is doing really well, it's a lot easier to think about what are the things I want to do from an ESG perspective? If we keep this right. more on the, on the E than necessarily the S and the G. Now, what will be interesting to see is as we now go into a different economic reality for however long it lasts, we're now back to the question, to your point around, you know, are we still fundamentally committed to doing good kind of regardless of the cost 
Or mm -hmm. are we going to revert kind of pre-sustainability momentum where it was seen as an additional cost? It didn't necessarily, was not perceived as an avenue to create value. What we've seen is you can be sustainable and make money at the same time. We have seen that, right? We've seen that for the last several yeah. years. So my observation will be, or I guess my my advice to organizations is you need to find a way to keep doing that. That when when times are tough, you do not want to shut down any momentum you made around ESG. If for no other reason, Greg, to your earlier comment, people people now have that expectation. Whether, frankly, you make money or not, that is the expectation. Expectation is you will consider how to do good for the planet and how to do good for people. And if, right. and if people make some course corrections now because of the economy, I, I believe they will pay a price for that in, from, from a customer um, perspective. Mm. Okay. Uh, you know, you agree. We mentioned, of course, artificial intelligence, one of the uh, <clears throat> tools that Dr. Taylor mentioned there. And Greg, we've touched about this. We've touched on this a number of times. Sometimes the tools themselves need to be reinvented so that we don't have the hard coding, the hard programming, the uh, assumptions baked into the artificial intelligence. Uh, Greg, you want to speak to that for a second? You're much more of the technologist than I am. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we have to recognize is that there are there are legitimate business cases for blockchain have been for a long time. It's more the adoption, speaking of baked in, it's more the recognition and the adoption that have been a hurdle than the technology of blockchain or AI themselves, right? We continue to have AI do a better job of statistical forecasting, for instance, which is a misapplication of, of the technology. And blockchain, um, we've used to monitor manual processes that are easily easily usurped by just failing to click the button on the scanner or whatever, right? So right. There, there are lots of ways we need to ad adopt this. But um, and, and I think one of the things you're alluding to, Scott, is kind of the bias that can be built into intelligence if... Uh, for instance, we've we've talked about this a lot. If you only show an artificial or a computer vision tool, artificial intelligence or computer vision tool, men's shoes, then when you show it a woman's shoe, it will not recognize that as a shoe, right? So there's there's that possibility, um, and there are all kinds of unintentional biases that that can be built into those things, and and there are lots of and and have been for years. By the way, I don't think the world knows this. All kinds of synthetic Right. testing and training that can be done so that human bias is is uh, extracted from that. But the limitation is not the technology. The limitation is not the training of the technology. The limitation is the human's adaptation, adoption, right, and and acceptance. Oh, three A's. That was pretty good. <laughs> of, of the technology, or better yet, to the point both of you have made, to the outcomes that the technology can enable. And we have to be focused on those outcomes first. That, like Mike said, don't make the products a, a hammer looking for a nail. Find the nails and then go find how, how and if how that hammer can apply. Love that. Love that. Uh, Dr. Rhonda says, ethical practices versus profit. Choice, matter, and impact us all eventually 
best to think about longevity and think about the implications. Nice to say. Good luck with that. <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, the, the greatest economic principle ever is enlightened self-interest, right? Let me repeat that. Enlightened self-interest. Companies will never not be self-interested. They will never not be profit-focused. What we have to do, to Mike's point, is we have to illuminate how ESG, how doing the right thing leads to profit. And, you know, my opinion on that topic is that Again, there's no place to hide. Supply chain is in the forefront, thanks to the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. ESG is in the forefront, thanks to innumerable offenses by companies, large, small, you know, of every manner around the world, right? right. Anywhere from diamonds, the greatest offenders on the planet, to sports clothing, right? Mm. Which is heavily produced in Xinjiang province and others. But there's no place to hide now. And I think what people have to recognize is that supply chain effectiveness and ESG effectiveness, doing the right thing, hit the top line as much as the bottom line. Because mm. someone could choose, and more people will, choose not to do business with companies that, that refuse right. to acknowledge inethicality in this, their business. So, Mike, I'm going to give you the final word on this topic, and I'm going to share a couple of comments, and we are getting close to the top or bottom of the hour, whatever the case is. Mike, uh, your final comments. Yeah, I concur with Greg. There, There is more and more research that says the, the ESG perspectives of an organization and a brand are rapidly climbing the consumer decision tree. I think we're also seeing data that suggests there is actually starting to, to be a shift with more people actually voting with their wallets. Uh, I think we still have a gap, but I think what the, the point I think people need to acknowledge is the number of people that are saying that's important to them is going up. The number of people that are actually voting with their wallet is going up. There is still a gap mm -hmm. between those two, but the gap is narrowing. And if the gap ever is eliminated, the companies that have been kind of lagging are going to be in big trouble. Mm. Big um, and trouble. Big trouble. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, and by the way, thank you, Andy. The top of the hour, he says, is the the one o'clock, the two o'clock, the three o'clock. It's when the big it. hand is on the 12th is the top Man, of the hour. Math is not my thing. Math is not my thing. So, <laughs> hey, Kim Winter, the one only Kim Winter is with us here today. Kim says, thanks for the discussion, team. Good question, Greg, in regards to ESG. And to your answer, Mike, 100%. The clear message we get as an international recruiter from candidates globally is that an employer's stance on ESG is an essential part of decision-making when candidates are looking yep. at a new job. Excellent, Kim, and safe travels. Kim Winter's everywhere. I'll tell you what, based in Dubai, but he is, if it's a logistics or supply chain leadership conference, he is there in person. I love yeah. it. Okay, so let's have a little fun. I got 1248. We got Mike for a few more minutes here. It's July. Well, a much lighter note from what we've been talking about. I would like to, on sec, Kim says, you guys are ranking above my other screen. The BBC commenting on the demise of the UK <laughs> prime minister tonight. Or, hey, I'll, we'll keep <laughs> wow. on whistling. <laughs> we'll whistle right past that for now. Just remember, you're no longer in the colonies, Kim. That doesn't even matter to you uh, anymore. <laughs> Rhonda says, Greg, great point. Switch the focus a little to our more lived practices and self-interests. Yeah. Rhonda, not that yours was not an outstanding point. It's just we have to acknowledge that um, shared 
uh, approach, right, of both That's profit right. and and do the right thing. And I've just seen it too long. Companies will not change. They cannot. They should not. Right. They owe it to us, their shareholders and their customers to make money and be sustainable in that way. So, all right. So forget what I said a minute ago, because we're not going to take, we're not going to talk about vacation day. We just got an excellent question from Sheldon and I'm going to pose this out there to you and Mike. We're going back a little bit to uh, the UFLPA discussion we had um, um, towards the beginning of the show. And Sheldon says this, and great to have you, by the way, Sheldon. There is a shift taking place in the global power dynamics. We have seen BRICS, Brazil. I can't remember what the acronym stands for. Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Yes, yes. BRICS and LDCs reevaluating the relevance of certain relationships with regard to self-interest. Will, in Sheldon's words, exclusionary U.S. laws such as UFLPA aimed at improving visibility in supply chains end up hurting U.S. companies more than helping them? Mike? Yeah, I, Sheldon, that, that's a great question. And I think, I, I think, un, well, I, I guess I'll say, unfortunately, I, I think the answer to that is yes, depending on your size. Because I think uh, from in some instances, the supplier probably does have an opportunity with some people to say, hey, you know what, if you don't want my stuff, someone else will, right? Or I don't care if you want visibility, I'm not going to share that with you. So I think based on an organization's size, there may, they may run into some challenges where suppliers have more leverage than they do. And you may just say, you know what, you're, you're now becoming more trouble than you're worth. Right. Go, find your, go find your product someplace else. Mm. I think what's incumbent, though, is it's incumbent on the, the organizations with the larger market share to kind of keep an eye out for these other companies like a big brother or a big sister and say, you know what, I'm not going to deal with you. Now you may be able to get away with not selling stuff to, to, to Mike's sporting goods store, but you know, you cannot get away with not selling stuff. If I'm say just, I'll use Dick's as an example, right? Dick's sporting goods. And I think it's these larger brand owners. It's these larger retail organizations that are going to have to make a stand. And then as a byproduct of that, I think some of these smaller companies, you know, can be protected if that's the right word. But this goes back to Greg's kind of, kind of self, you know, self-enlightened self-interest. This is where some of these larger companies have to put the industry and their, and their policies first ahead of, uh, maybe may, not necessarily profits, but they need to be keeping an eye out for everyone in their industry and in their sector. And it's going to take the large companies to do that. Well, in, said, in my Greg, opinion, I'm coming to you next, but really quick, our dear friend, Jenny Froome is with us here today. And Jenny adds that BRICS, plural, as it were, maybe Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Huh, Jenny, that's a new addition. I did yeah. not know that. I didn't even notice the S. I never even... <laughs> Well, thank you, Jenny, for being the, the wonderful ambassador that you are and look forward yeah. to catching back up with you soon. Okay, Greg, uh, so to, to Sheldon's question, is it going to end up hurting U.S. companies more than helping them? Yes, in the short term, unquestionably, because they're not ready for it. They've denied, you know, they've been in denial about this happening. So, yes. And to Mike's point, yes, certainly. I've You know, I was thinking about this. I may have even I wrote a commentary a week or so ago about this very topic and Imagine some influencer out there who's having 
whatever coffee cups painted with their face or whatever these YouTubers do. And they're, you know, they're being made in the wrong place. They're going to tell them to stuff it just like right. Mike said. So, uh, you know, the other thing we have to acknowledge is in, in large measure, we, the United States and other countries of the Western world, I guess you would say, whatever the first Western world, we're mandating our principles on these other countries that may not ha share the same principles or may right. not have the same capacity to live up to those principles. Mm. I heard someone call it, and I don't agree, but I think this is a, a valid analysis. ESG is the new imperialism. It's mm. how we project our principles on them, like, like the English projected the English language and, and the U.S. had projected Christianity and other things on other countries because that's the way we see the world. And for those countries that don't see the world there, and some of these are unbelievably bad actors, right? I mean, Brazil, I love Brazil. It's a beautiful country, but they are one of the highest offenders in terms of destroying the rainforest. Indonesia, likewise. China, I don't think we need to say more there. <laughs> Pick a violation and insert China. So we have to understand that this, this is going to come to... We're going to come to loggerheads over this unquestionably. Right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm so disappointed, Greg, that you don't tell us exactly how you really feel with your responses. Now, of course, I'm kidding. Well, I think we have to be realistic about it because politicians have politicians have the luxury of casting these things out there to gain votes, and then they disappear in eight years. Right. Right. Well, right? And, how they and, invent and cover. They don't have to pick up the pieces right. or live. And they live above the way the rest of us live, so they don't have to live with the shattered remains of the world when they cause these ridiculous things to happen. Agreed. Okay. All right. I hate to leave the conversation there, but Mike, I know you've got a pressing uh, commitment at the top of the hour. Let's make sure folks know how to connect with Mike and Gartner so that you can tune into this type of uh, analysis and research that really is very practical and valuable to business leaders. Uh, Mike, how can folks connect with you and, and Gartner? Um, sure. LinkedIn for me, Mike.Griswold, Gartner.com, Gartner.com. If you're looking to just understand more about what we do at Gartner, but love to hear from people, love to talk about the supply chain and certainly these other little random things that we manage to talk about. Uh, I always enjoy the conversations. I appreciate that, Mike. And as always, the good news, some of it is Mike is getting better and better at LinkedIn. So make sure you connect and is reach he? out. Better and better. Yes. <laughs> wow, that's good. It's a step. It's, uh, it it's the uh, it's relentless pursuit. Baby steps. Yes. Baby, baby steps. steps. Yeah. Mike, it's funny how aside. people kind of dive in and out of your feed, right? Yeah. I got to guess. I'm going to have to go check you out, Mike. Well, hey. <laughs> Mike Griswold with Gartner. Always a pleasure. Really appreciate what you shared here over the last hour and looking forward to next month. Me too. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. We'll Thanks, Thank Mike. You. Take care. All right. Let's see. Daniel, got to run, but great episode. Thanks for leading off with your question, Daniel. I appreciate your perspective and, and great question. Jenny Froome got a kick out of these YouTubers. Comment from Greg White. Uh, I did too, Jenny. And thank you for your... Probably should have said influencers. I mean... <laughs> Not all, uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, that's right. Shelly Phillips completely agrees with Greg. And Thank you, always Shelley. great. Big fan. Jenny is of Mike and of Greg. Uh, so good stuff there. Okay, Greg. Mike, especially, I hope. Man, <laughs> seriously, I don't, I don't, I, I still am not certain that we all understand 
the presence of greatness that we're all in whenever he's on the show. I mean, uh, been I there, done it, continues to do it. Hundreds, thousands of companies get their guidance on supply chain from Mike Griswold. Big ones. Agreed. And thanks to our audience for for kind of bearing with us. I think there was a Fortnite tournament just down the block uh, from Mike uh, Mike's home studio today. Oh, he was just he was pretty good. He was well, pretty okay. good on my end. Just cut a couple of times. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. I think it's a roll of the dice, you know? The roll internet. of the dice. Well, hey, Greg, always a pleasure to knock out this stuff with you. Always a pleasure to have Mike here because yeah. I agree. He really, he he's the type of, uh, you know, analysts and researchers and, and um, thought leaders, all those terms, much like some of the comments we're seeing are thrown around, you know, regularly these days. But man, he is the real deal, real deal Holyfield. And always a pleasure to have him here for his monthly appearance with Supply Chain Now. Agree. Now, with all that, I want to circle back to this opportunity we've got with folks. Hey, check out this July 12th working session, Leveraging Logistics for Ukraine. Love for you to get involved and, and donate or help facilitate if you can. But like Greg said earlier, just show up. There's no need. There's no obligation. There won't be any arm twisting, right? But y'all check that out. The link is in the comments from earlier in July 12th at 11 a.m. Eastern time. I uh, love what uh, I love the outcomes, you know, as, as you and Mike and we all talked about. So important, you know, feeling good, feel good gestures. It's not good enough. It's, it's what are you doing? What are the outcomes? You know, what are the results? And to have almost 10 containers now on the way to folks chock full of things they, they need as coming from their voice. You know, no mm -hmm. assumptions. I mean, part of these working sessions are to are to tune in to the folks there in Ukraine and Poland and elsewhere and let them tell us what their specific needs are. So I love that type of uh, really focused effort. Okay, Greg, before I sign off here, I want to get your final challenge, your final comment, whether it's something you or Mike shared or someone from all the comments, but what's your final thought before I sign off here today? The world is watching. I think it's important for us to know that as supply chain professionals, we, we begged for this, right? We begged for this recognition, for this seat at the table, for the command and control that the supply chain should long have had. We've begged for it to be recognized as something greater than brute force and cost savings. And we got it and we got it in spades and we've had it now for over two years and we need to make sure that we are living up to that challenge that we are transparent we are forthright we are ethical we are effective and that we're ready to change as the market changes because laggard a great word that mike used today is arguably one of the core tenets of supply chain we don't move very fast we don't innovate very rapidly and we we need to start changing our perspective to do that. We need to take some risks to alleviate risks in the supply chain. All right. That's the final word here today. Uh, big thanks to our production team, Chantel, Catherine, Amanda. I uh, hope wherever Clay is today, he's hitting that little white ball straight and far. Uh, big thanks to Greg. Of course, Mike Griswold for joining us. Big thanks to all the folks yeah. that, that showed up in the comments. Great questions and comments. That's one always one of my favorite parts. Uh, but anyway, on that note, uh, Scott Luton signing off with my dear friend Greg White here for now, challenging you. Man, this last hour is a is a uh, gives you all the reasons and then some to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And on that note, we we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. 
Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Thank you.